Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach. Thanks for joining me today. It's a special edition of the podcast today. We're here in Crystal City at the Service Navy Association Convention for 2019. And we're up here at an undisclosed location in the hotel um, with some warfare tactics, tactics instructors. I knew I was going to screw that up. Um, hey, guys. Thanks for coming to the Proceedings Podcast today. Hi. Thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. Thank so... Um, <laughs> We're, we, and just so the audience knows, we're, we're sharing one mic. We're, we're, we're hardware limited, so um, you'll hear Aaron. Um, it'll be a short delay. Uh, this will prevent crosstalk because uh, we have to be very deliberate about handing the mic around. Um, so, Kelly, if you would uh, give us a little brief bio on, on your background and uh, define what a warfare tactics instructor is in, in general. Sure. So I am on my shore duty now, currently stationed at uh, Smidic Sea Combat Division in the N7 shop. So what is Smidic? Smidic is the Surface Warfare, um, Surface Warfighting and Mine Development Center. Put me on the okay. spot there. <laughs> <laughs> Surface and Mine Warfighting Development Center. Okay. Uh, I came from a destroyer of my first tour, DDG-110, where I was the Ordo and Gunno. And then I moved on to the LCS community uh, with Crew 202 as the EMO. So what, what, which LCS were you on? I was primarily on board uh, the Independence LCS-2, but we were crew-based, so Crew 202, and we actually migrated to the Gabrielle Giffords uh, shortly before I departed. So you know we just commissioned the uh, Sioux City yes. at the Naval Academy. It was yes. kind of cool. And, and so you went there, and then what happened after that? And then I came to Semitic. Okay, I fantastic. I went through the pipeline, and then I graduated uh, from the ASW-SEW course about this time last year, so November of 2017. So um, we talk about Warfare Tactics Instructor. What is a WTI? What, what is that all about? So we use the buzz, buzzwords of um, humble, credible, and approachable. Um, it is a service warfare officer who has elected to go through advanced tactical warfighting training. Um, they complete the course, and then they are then put back out into the fleet as somebody who has the experience and the knowledge of doctrine and tactics and their sole purpose in life is to impart that knowledge on the rest of our service community to increase lethality across the sea. So how long has the WTI program been around? The program... Well, I'm sorry, but I'll introduce yourself and give us a little bio as well. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Lieutenant Brianna Frazier. Um, I enlisted in 2005 as an aerographer's mate uh, and decommissioned the Kitty Hawk in 2009. Kitty Hawk, yeah. Uh, I found out I got picked up for the State 21 program, so I graduated from ODU in 2012. I did my first Divo tour on the USS Oak Hill as their communications officer, and then I was uh, selected to go to Expeditionary Strike Group 2 as their training officer and an operations planner. Uh, that's where I found out about the WITI program, so I applied in 2016, and I was part of the uh, pilot course for the Amphibious Warfare Tactics Instructor, um, which is where I'm serving now at Smidic AMW Division Little Creek as an instructor. Okay. So how long has the WITI program been in existence? So we started kind of inception in 2013, and then we stood up our integrated uh, air and missile defense program. They were the first ones to come online, followed by the ASW, SUW, and then my division, which is AMW. Um, and we currently are going to bring on the Mine Warfare Division later on this year. Okay. Aaron, how about you? 
Hey, uh, thanks again for having us. Uh, Lieutenant Aaron Van Drish. Uh, I did both of my Devo tours on board USS John S. McCain out of Yokosuka uh, from 2013 up until 2018. Uh, FCO tour there, ballistic missile defense, all the South China Sea, East China Sea fun that you could possibly have. Uh, I had a WTI come on board for a missile shoot back then. Uh, we were calling it Valiant Shield. It was a missile X, and he came on board, and he was uh, our subject matter expert for the event itself, and he had a level of tactical expert and excellence that, that I had never seen before. Uh, he was a warrant officer, so not only was he pulling years of actual experience on a ship, um, but he kept speaking to the pipeline itself and how much information he was able to gather. Uh, so he sold me right there on that week on board while we did uh, Valiant Shield doing some standard missile exercises, uh, that this was something that I wanted to be a part of. Uh, when I joined the Navy, I wanted to lead, um, but I was also very interested and fascinated with the warfighting aspect of what the Navy does, not just sailing around and you know, doing the political mission, but actually being a force of sea control and power projection. That was what really interested me. Uh, and it seemed like a pipeline that I should pursue uh, if that was something that captivated my interest. So how does one become a WTI? So there's an application process involved with uh, becoming a WTI. It's a template that's filled out and includes things like a personal statement, letters of recommendation, um, really your drive and reasoning for wanting to join this program. And that application is then reviewed by a board of currently serving WTIs, um, really just to assess the, the promise that you have to perform tactically. Um, and then you go into one of the courses of instruction. So whether it's the ASW, SUW uh, course, the amphibious course, or the IAMD course. The big thing that we look for with that application is the CO's endorsement. Um, that has a very big weight in your selection uh, likelihood, whether or not we uh, welcome you into the program. And then depending on the course that you choose, of course, there's different uh, lengths of time associated with each of those courses of instruction. It, it felt a lot like a college application, to be honest. I, yeah. I've on my short tour now, so I've been doing the college application process, but that's what it felt like. Letters of recommendation letters of recommendation from your commanding officer, uh, talking about your work ethic, your ability to train, your ability to lead, because uh, ultimately she spoke about being humble and credible and hungry and all those things that we're supposed to be. And I think the commanding officer recommendation is the best way uh, for those who are looking for talent in the fleet to know that this is the right kind of candidate that we want. I would also say that the personal statement part of that application um, is looked at very thoroughly and you have to have you know the tactical desire to do this kind of job so when you're applying to the program one of the things you should speak to is your desire to be part of you know the tactical athlete team if you will and and want to get out and serve the fleet in that tactical sense so you said humble humble credible and, and approachable. approachable so what resonates with me there um and we were talking before we we came on air about my experience with, with Top Gun, which is sort of the template for a center of excellence or a, a, a WTI program. And early in my career, I would not say that the Top Gun instructors were necessarily approachable unless you were a Top Gun graduate. You know, it wasn't, they weren't there for the people. They were only there for the two that got the nod on any tur turnaround cycle to go out to Top Gun and, and, do, and, and you know, hang out for six weeks. Um, but once they moved to Fallon and became part of the Navy Strike and Air Warfare Center, actually the N5 division of NSOC, suddenly that 
they became approachable, right? So, and, and not just for aviators going through air wing training, but also for the other parts of the battle group, particularly the Alpha Whiskey component of the battle group um, and the Navy Special Warfare guys and everything else. So Top Gun was suddenly there for the entire, I said battle group, I'm dating myself, strike group. Um, and, and so um, it changed everything, right? And then the, the Swifty program, the Strike Fighter Weapons Training Instructor program, um, emerged from that where it became a, a career path. Um, so it, it, I know firsthand that it really did change and raise the bar of, uh, of tactical savvy and tactical performance across the fleet. And that's what we're seeing here with Warfare Tactics Instructors. And I, I wish I could tell you that once you go through a 19-week pipeline that you come out with this new personality. So where, where, is that, where does that happen? All over the place or is there only one when you do the 19-week pipeline where do you go well, it depends on which your focus area was so mine was in Dahlgren uh, for integrated air and missile defense and I went through the ASW SUW course of instruction that's located in San Diego California uh, that was a 14-week course of instruction it's a modification right now but still about 14 weeks okay and the amphibious warfare division is in Little Creek and that's where we have our school and that is now 15 weeks long so do you get pulled out of your sea tour to do this or is this between is that a shore tour thing when do you when would you do this it depends really so we are on a rolling application process so you can submit that application at any point in your career Um, we've had people go through in between their first and second tours so a lieutenant junior grade who's just left their first tour in route to their second tour can go through that pipeline Uh, majority of people are going through on their first shore duty um, that's when I went through myself. I think the other two, Same with WT, yeah, they both went through on their uh, shore duty. And then we have post department heads that are coming through the course. Um, the great thing about uh, opening that up to everybody at different points in their careers is that we have that return back to the fleet at every different point. So we have second tour division officers going immediately back to their ship as a qualified WTI. We have first time department heads going through department head school, showing up to their first ship as qualified WTIs. And now we have those post-department head WTIs who are getting ready to go back to the fleet as a CO or an XO. Um, so we have that immediate quick return by opening this program up to really a lot of different points throughout your career. So uh, go ahead, Aaron. No, and I, I think the, the flexibility um, is a great selling point as well. Just when we were going through Dahlgren, it, it was a small course, but uh, we had a few limited duty officers, we had a few warrant officers, we had folks who were just about to be screened for XOCO fleet up. So they were about to go straight to their ship as an XO and then a commanding officer. And then those of us who had just come off a ship, um, we had a, a gentleman who was just coming uh, from a ship after being a nuke. So there, there was such a wide group of variety within the, uh, the class itself, which I, I think that type of diversity and experience really elevated everyone's level uh, of excellence by the time we were done with the course. And then the most important thing is once they get back to the fleet, you now have WTIs at all different levels of um, position and experience, and we're able to cover down, I think, a lot more by then. But instead of just having, you know, when you come in after you've done your second division officer tour, I think you would have a bunch of woodies in one area of the Navy, and instead we're able to uh, distribute out that that quality. So I know we're talking about different warfare areas um, across the WITI program. In general, what does the curriculum involve? I mean, 19 weeks, 14 weeks. Um, is it math intense? Is it is it a lot of uh, book knowledge and reading? Is there is there a lot of testing? I mean, what 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 does the program? If let's say I'm a JO that's sort of thinking, you know, I'd like to be one of these, you know. Um, 
uh, you know, best of the best kind of uh, surface warfare officers, um, what would they be? What are they getting themselves into? So initially, all three of the witty flavors are going to go to what we call ITC or Instructor Tactics Course. So they're going to get together. And and is gonna, that in one place? That is. It's held in San Diego, okay. uh, where our headquarters is located. Right. Um, so they're going to get a baseline level of knowledge that is going to be inherent throughout all different flavor of WTIs. Um, once that course of instruction is over, they're going to break off and they're going to go to their respective divisions. So what is ITC involved? What 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 goes on there? Um, it baselines the fleet, so like newest happenings, some threat briefs, instructor skills that they can use. Because most people, if they are coming off that second division officer tour, likely they're going to go back and do their production tour at a SMITIC organization. And more than likely, they're going to be an instructor in some capacity. So they focus a lot on that instructor training so that they're prepared after they go through their course of instruction uh, to give back to the Semitic organization. So, you know, that reminds me that Top Gun was really, really, um, they drilled down on how you draw on a dry erase board. So is that part of what w that they do there, how to draw lines or how to, how to make ha have nice handwriting and all of those? Is it that detailed? There's a standardization aspect to it um, so that we don't have different instructors teaching in different ways. There's things like the style guide so that your lectures are all aligned with one another and you don't have crazy font in one and it's it's to appeal to your audience to make everything that you are teaching repeatable easy to understand and then easy to follow and that repeatable aspect do they of talk it. about don't wear jewelry and and only one one ring and all those one things yeah all those basic instructor and, skills yeah. it's the the instructor skills is really the part of itc that is honed in the most it's that standardization and that public speaking ability. A okay. lot of these first and second tour JOs don't have an opportunity outside of getting a nav brief on a ship to get up in front of senior officers, you know, sometimes COs, XOs, captains, fleet commanders, to really get up as a junior lieutenant, give a brief and be, you know, that part of that humble, credible, approachable thing right. that we preach, that credible aspect. So you're put on the spot a couple of times, you're briefing in front of a large audience, um, sometimes you have preparation, sometimes it's more of an impromptu, just speak from something that you're passionate about, but it's all developed and designed to, to really get you to be credible in front of a, a large audience. I remember our very first assignment the first day was to give a five minute speech on something that you're passionate about, which was a great starting point because you got to pick it yourself. So you couldn't say I was given a difficult topic or I didn't have time to study. It was something that, that you were passionate about. I remember I talked about whale sharks because I had just gone on a trip and was swimming with whale sharks so I gave a, Ooh, a speech on that. It was fun. But then wow. once you get into your actual course, you're starting to give higher level briefs uh, to folks who have written the TAC memos that you're giving briefs on, which makes it a much more daunting task when you're standing up there for an hour. No help, just you and the PowerPoint that you built really dissecting material where the authors are in the room. And that's the level that they're getting you to, is to sound like a subject matter expert, be confident up there, uh, as well as approachable, um, but be incredible, as she mentioned, uh, and, and being able to articulate your point and make sure that when it's all said and done, it's not you who has the knowledge and walks away, but the classroom or the ship, whatever the setting is that you are able to impart, whatever the mission was, or whatever the goal is, everyone can walk away on the same page. Yeah, I mean, this, this is like mad life skill stuff, right? I mean, I think of the industry, um, that, that people pay big bucks for that kind of training, you know. Um, so once you get through the initial phase, uh, then you get into the warfare-specific areas. Um, so in this era where we use the buzzword peer conflict, you know, where, where real war is back, conventional war is back, 
Um, so it strikes me that that having uh, tactical savvy is is not just optional uh, as it may have been during the uh, the global war on terror. I mean, now it's like mandatory, right? And we've seen some evidence um, in recent years that uh, maybe everybody's not on the same page with respect to that um, in terms of readiness and, and tactical savvy. Um, so what have you, what do they teach uh, specifically? Um, uh, with respect to the different warfare areas, how do they approach getting into the graduate level learning piece? I can talk to you from the ASWSUW side of the house at the very least. Um, we focus uh, a lot on, I'll say, I'll say part, part of the course is your threats. So we definitely do your threat briefs where each of the students is given a an adversary, a red force, if you will. Um, they're tasked with researching and then presenting that topic, whether it be a platform, an aircraft, um, a weapon system, it's designed so that that student is given two topics. For instance, they present a 15 to 20 minute brief on those two topics in front of the class and the audience. So now we're increasing the knowledge of the entire, you know, student population within that course. Um, and it's it's only part of the class, but it's the fundamental aspect of the class because then we move those threats into our multi-mission team trainer. So we're going into synthetic training where you're planning, executing, um, planning, briefing, execu executing, and then debriefing your entire mission set. So we're taking those threats, that, that core of that class, taking those threats, putting them into that synthetic trainer, and then the class is tasked with a, a mission and they have to go from point A to point B. They have to plan the entire thing, brief it to the rest of the class, the instructors, execute that brief in the multi-mission team trainer, and then debrief you know, the focal points of what did we do well, where can we improve, um, where did we kind of you know, go, ast go astray. Um, and that planning aspect is the meat and potatoes of the course, at least for the ASW-SUW side of the house. Um, we go in week five through 14, every week you're planning a different mission set and then you're executing that in the trainer. I mean, that's kind of a new cultural thing to the surface warfare community, right? I mean, planning, asking, especially the debrief piece, and that, that seems, I don't yeah. really associate that with, um, you know, any given exercise that you might do in the, in, in, in the surface warfare community. It is for the JOs. This is um, higher level thinking that you are normally not exposed to within the surface community until much later on in your career. And the WTI program is bringing that forward uh, to a lot of junior officers. So you're getting that experience and you're getting that higher level thinking much earlier on in your career. And the fact that we're doing reps and sets, you're doing this multiple times throughout the course. And then when you graduate, you go and you execute SWATs and SCCs, and you're just continuously repeating this very basic concept in theory of plan, brief, execute, and debrief. But if everybody knows when you've planned for something, it never goes according to plan. No. And it's that execution piece and that debrief portion where you really learn how to improve yourself for the next time. Absolutely. And that's what—that's the experience that these WTIs are getting and then giving to the rest of the fleet whenever they go and support one of these events. And there's multiple layers to the type of training. We, we do a red cell week uh, where they cover the threats and all the different areas of responsibility throughout the Navy, cover what they have, what their tactics are. I mean, we're talking about peers who have designed weapon systems just to defeat us. Um, and, and you can no longer just rely on your systems. We're going to have to be better as tacticians. But we spent a lot of time on unit level training when we're talking doctrine and the actual capes and the capabilities and limitations of the ships themselves. But we move out of the unit level and then we very quickly get into the strike group problem. And by the end of the course for us at the end of the 19 weeks, we have a week and it's just the final battle problem. 
there's a large uh, printout of a map of Sixth Fleet, Fifth Fleet, and Seventh Fleet. And they put your ship there, and you have to, from memory, talk about where all the enemy sensors are that will pick you up as you're moving your ship. Um, capabilities are the longest range missiles, um, how you're going to slip in without being detected, and they constantly feed you more and more of a difficult situation. So when you're a junior officer, you're just making sure that you can stand a good watch. And that was your focus. So it was fascinating to be a part of a program where you're thinking so much more than that. They're asking you, okay, you're getting underway. What are the assets that you need? What are their capabilities? These are the threats that are against you this is your final battle problem, solve it. And there's no time for us to admire the problem, you just have to solve it. And that's something I really appreciated. As far as the amphibious warfare piece goes, we also do you know, the red cell and the threat briefs, um, but we have added a portion too um, with the heritage side of it. You know, Knowing where you're going, you have to know where you came from, so we talk about some of the more famous amphibious battles that have happened. Um, and also, as we see our marine brothers and sisters kind of shifting from the land war you know, that has been going on for years and years trying to get back to their amphibious seagoing routes. Um, we've added a portion to where we do a week down in Camp Lejeune with the Marines and we call it fleet immersion. So the students get to go down, they get to have a round table with the MU, they get to talk about lessons learned that they brought from the deployment and just have that open dialogue with, you know, when it comes to the integration of those two forces because they're such a, a key piece to the amphibious warfare fight and what we can bring you know, to our adversaries when needed, because they bring certain capabilities and limitations that are not organic to our ships themselves. So understanding what they can do and their considerations that need to be brought into our planning is critical for our students to be able to go out after they graduate and you know, maybe tell a commander, hey sir you know, or ma'am, did you, did you consider this? And it allows them to have that higher level of knowledge to really bring good ideas to the table, be able to talk through problem sets. We do a battle problem as well. Um, in the form of a transition brief, you know, to the Cadiff and Cliff for the amphibious warfare side, where they have they're set with a problem, and they have to solve it, and they have to take every single piece of cap capes and limbs that they've been taught throughout the 16 weeks, you know, to the table, and they have to brief it kind of from both sides. You know, what did you think about for the green side stuff, and what are you going to do, you know, to protect the shipping at sea? So we're unique in the aspect that we kind of have a twofold problem uh, to look at and consider. How integrated is the WTI program now? Does every ship have one, or how, how does how does this how how, how ubiquitous uh, are you guys now? That's that's the goal. So we want to get to the point where we have a WTI serving on every single uh, surface ship in the fleet. Well, where are we now? How, how? We're getting there. We're not quite there yet. The program is still in its infancy. Um, if but you we're had to definitely... give a percentage, what would it be as we sit here? Uh, I don't know. PAO, do you know that number? <laughs> 275. 275? Total, Total in the fleet. That's how many witties we have currently in the fleet. But oh, they're in the serving fleet. in all okay. different aspects. So we've yeah. got those That's witties. That's both shore billets and, correct. and ship so billets? Your production okay. tour is back at sea. So um, let's say 50%, it sounds like, roughly? I would say that's a good rough estimate. Okay. Because okay. Um, listening yeah, to you talk, I'm like, if I didn't have a U on my ship, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd feel way deficit, right? Which is a it again reminds me of the early days of the of the Swifty program, where it was awesome, but there were also concerns that it would become a career pipeline that was potentially limiting. Like you're like I don't want to be a training officer for life, right? So what what are are there any concerns with respect to that, or are are you seeing just upside to the career progression of WTIs? Well, I personally hope to train for life. 
regardless of what the job is, regardless of what the position is. If I'm not learning and teaching, I feel like I was a waste of the program's money. Uh, it really isn't about me, isn't about how much I can know or memorize. If I can't convey that to my wardroom or my captain or my commodore, um, I, I feel like the program would be at a loss at large. Um, so I, I, I do hope that we can train, but you're absolutely right in that you wouldn't want to be stuck in this production tour for the rest of your life. But I think that's great. I think we're, we're, uh, we're a captive audience now. We're in the fleet. Uh, we're doing good work. But then when we go back out and we're department heads or, or XOs or COs, I think that's where you're going to see that next level of benefit where you have um, more informative decision makers in the right places. Um, and then we don't talk about it enough, but being a part of the WTI program creates a, a camaraderie and cadre amongst different warfare areas uh, where you have subject matter experts that you know and you trust that you can reach out to. And to answer your question kind of about like the return on investment and what we're seeing the success rate being for the witties, um, we just had our first uh, WTI be selected as CEO at sea, um, and he's going to take command of the USS Little Rock. And also, um, if you look at the the, the board resorts, results coming from PERS, uh, witties are getting selected, you know, for XOCO at sea, and a lot of other great career milestones at a very high rate. Um, so I would say that being a witty, definitely you have a great return on investment for your career. It's something that's good um, to invest in, you know, if you want career progression. Um, I would say that Rearama Welch, you know, would like to say that one day he would like to see a patch wearer as the commander of Smitic. You know, that would be the goal for, you know, someone to rise from the ranks. Yeah. You know, from second so how, how far away is that from happening? I mean, if the CEO of the Little Rock stays in, you know, maybe that person, you know, could end up yeah. filling those shoes. Um, but I think what Well, I don't know how you credibly do lead Smitic and not be a WTI, right? I mean, it starts to get to be like, you know, if you're not a graduate of the program, what do you know about it? Well, you would, right? I mean, you could argue the same thing with the Top Gun program. You know, they stood it up and, you know, yeah. that first commander was not a, a Top Gun patch wearer through the traditional sense of well, going through the pipeline. Yeah. So we have so to that, that, you, I keep having these flashbacks of, uh, of 1997, right? Or nine, 96, 97 timeframe um, before you guys were born. Um, but, um, <laughs> no, except you. Um, but so... You can have the dynamic. I wonder if you've heard anything uh, through the grapevine about a witty showing up to a command and being the smartest person in the wardroom, right? And there being a little bit of animosity in the, the higher pay grades that, you know, oh, aren't you so smart, right? No, and that's... And You're not that's seeing any, any no, of that. Because I will tell you in the fighter <laughs> community, we had some of that. You know what, like I was saying before when you were talking about being approachable, I was going to say I, I wish I could promise that at the end of 19 weeks you come out with this different personality. So there are going to be um, personality conflicts or personality perspectives regardless, whether it's WTI, a wardroom, civilian sector, it doesn't matter, you're always going to get that. But I would say it's incumbent upon the WTI to <laughs> to own the reputation that they have uh, to make sure that the patch is something that's that has some worth. So when you go on board a ship and making sure that, that you're there to train and then you're there to take instruction as well and you're there to learn. And as soon as you stop learning is when you need to stop being a WTI. Yeah, it, it kind of comes full circle in the sense of, you know, you've heard everybody talk about it. We're in this new era of power competition between our adversaries and this program is designed to increase that, that lethality across the entire surface fleet. So it's it's twofold, the benefit of, of this program. It's uh, beneficial on a personal level because your career progression is definitely 
helped and accelerated by becoming a WTI. You know, we get selected for XOCO faster. We are going into department head billets that directly um, are in line with what we've learned in these courses. But then the, the bigger picture aspect of it is what we're giving back to the fleet. And that animosity question that you asked earlier, we don't see any of that because the entire surface Navy is aware of this power competition. And there's this thirst and desire to increase that, that tactical knowledge and that lethality. And we're kind of Semitic being the epicenter of where all of that is being produced from. So there's none of this, you know, the JO as a WTI shows up to a ship and people are pointing the finger and, oh, you're supposed to be the smartest guy or girl in the room. You know, we don't like you because of that. There's, there's none of that. It's, you know, we're here to share that knowledge. It's not just something that we keep internal to ourselves and get to show off every once in a while. We're, we're meant to go out and, you know, teach the rest of our brothers and sisters the great information that we're learning in the schoolhouses. It kind of comes back to that humility factor, right? So we're, we're likely not going to be the smartest guy or gal in the room. And we might not always have every answer, but part of Smithick's charge is being able to look in the doctrine and the TTP and give the correct information to the ship and kind of be a reach back cell repository, someone that's credible to look back to to say, you know, if I don't have the answer, I know those guys and girls at Smithick can help me find it. And we should, you know, feel after we do a training evolution on the ship that, you know, we have made them smarter, but we've also incited like a passion in them to want to better themselves. You know, they, they want to become to, you know, learn and be able to impart that information and, in, you know, throughout the wardroom and throughout other ships on the waterfront. So when we leave a ship or we do a tactical event at sea, we want to make sure that the ship now, you know, they take ownership in the fight, right? That is what we want to do. We want to increase their lethality and the proficiency at sea and then also impart you know, the passion of them owning the fight for their ship. And I hope people remember what makes the program special uh, because it's not the patch, it's the people. And, and I would hope that people don't assume when you check on board that uh, the patch makes this sailor worthwhile. In reality, it's the sailor that makes the patch worthwhile. And as long as people see it from that perspective that we're all sailors that care about tactics and war fighting and we're there to share that information, I think people will think of it more in that regard then he or she is wearing a patch so he or she must be this type of person it should be the other way around right no i like it um so another thing i remember from the uh the early um swifty integration uh was that um there for all of the lofty goals of the of a wti program it doesn't create any more hours in the day and, and so, Aaron, you had mentioned that, you know, your average J.O. is worried about, you know, OD quals and different things like that, just the basics. Um, are you seeing the available time to, you know, effectively execute the, the WTI initiatives at the unit level? Or, is, I mean, is that is it working in terms of the op tempo and everything else that we have to do with deal with in, in the course of any given day in the fleet? It doesn't change the workload, that, that's for sure. But I would say the experience that you're gaining, I think you're able to attack that workload in a much more efficient manner. Having gone through the course and m meeting people who are very smart in different areas uh, makes tackling the problem a lot easier, I think. I think you have a lot more to add. I think you have a lot more value as far as knowledge and experience is concerned. Um, so some of those projects that may have seemed more daunting given the timeline that you have um, actually become a lot more a lot more doable with the experience that you have. I remember my first assignment just going through the class seemed like this was just impossible. There's no way I could possibly get this done. And by the end of it, you're so conditioned to not only the rigor, um, but attacking the problem at, from the right way 
that I think you walk out a better leader in that regard as well. Well, I'm not talking about necessarily the WTI syllabus. I'm talking about once you get back to the fleet, having a a ship in, incorporate the methodologies that you're imparting to them, right? So when, what strikes me, Kelly, about what you said about a debrief, right? So in my experience, my tactical experience, the difference between professional units and, oh, by the way, units is the way they debrief, you know? And so how rigorous, how thorough, how much of a strain does each and every uh, professional take in getting X plus whatever better in the debrief, right? Because you're usually beat down, tired. You just want to hit the rack or whatever, right? But you want to go infinitum about every tick-tock of the, the mission you just carried out, right? Um, so this is sort of attitudinal and it's cultural and it's a tone set by the CO, right? So um, are, you, are you seeing fleet units accepting this, it, maybe it overstates to say the new way, but are they accepting that this comprehensive uh, relook at how you do things like debrief a mission? Yeah, so great, great question. And uh, I think a good example would be a recent SWAT that I was fortunate enough to participate on. Uh, the SWATs are surface warfare advanced tactical training um, where we go, we do an import training session uh, where we do some basic academics and then we get underway. The WTIs get underway with the ship and the crew and the JOs and the CO and the XO. And we do a variety of different exercises underway from surface warfare to anti-submarine warfare to the integrated air and missile defense uh, types of exercises. And while you're right that you can't create more hours in the day and we're already in such a compressed timeline and the work schedule is always so chaotic, the CEOs and XO, at least in the experience that I've had on these SWATs, are more than happy and more than willing to carve out time in the day to accomplish this training. Um, with the recent move to the circadian rhythm, watch team rotations, uh, there was an instance on the most recent SWAT that I was a part of where we conducted the exercise. Everybody was very receptive uh, to the information that was provided. There was great conversation, a great exchange of dialogue, and a lot of learning that occurred. And the WTIs then went back and they formulated their debrief topics. And then when we went to do the debrief with the crew and the watch team that had executed the exercise, we found that they were taking part of that circadian rhythm and were out in their, you know, they were asleep in their racks. They were getting their very well-deserved rest. And, you know, five years ago, that CO might have said, well, let's wake them up and get this debrief done. It's important. And that CO very, very politely and very articulately, articulately said to us, you know, can we please move this to tomorrow so that my watch team can get their, you know, deserved rest and also be awake and be able to participate attentive, yeah. and attentive in the debrief. So, you know, yes, well received, Roger. And we pushed the debrief to the morning and then we did the did the debrief in the AM with the watch team that had executed it. And we had, a, you know, a great dialogue, a lot of conversation back and forth. And it, it ran over, you know, you scheduled 30 minutes, 45 minutes for the debrief and we we're pushing 90 minutes trying to get it all in. But it was great information and everybody was very eager to learn and, and the ideas that were being bounced off of one another it was evident that the training that had been conducted the day before, um, there was a, a strict learning curve that had occurred and everything that was being brought up in the debrief, they then took into the next execution. And after four cycles of that whole process, there was a, a noticeable increase in, in knowledge and execution. I think another good thing about the debrief process, you know, having a Woody on board and running it, is you have that third party view that's not ship's company. You have someone who's gonna give you the honest ground truth you know, of what happened during the evolution. So it allows the ship to take an introspective view after the fact 
Uh, and it's not, you know, crew members pointing figure, fingers, you know, you did this or your, your mistake was here or we did really well, you know, and giving maybe a false sense of security of how the evolution maybe really went. And if they did perform well, you know, that's going to come out in our debrief process. But us, along with the PBED, there's other tools that we use, you know, to gather metrics on the surface warfare advanced tactical training evolution. So there's data cards, event cards, um, the data analysis working group comes out and they can give, you know, live or replay, you know, in a couple weeks after the event. So you can see that ground truth. Um, and I think having those coupled with the way that we're executing that PBRED process really allows the ship to take a look and continue learning, you know, and the lessons learned aren't happening, you know, years later, they're happening weeks later. So it allows the ship to adjust, you know, to what they need to do to make sure that they're ready to go out and accomplish the mission. How many witties are we making a year, roughly? Oh, let's see. We just graduated our most recent class of seven. Before that was eight. Uh, so about 15 for the last two classes. I'm trying to do some quick mental math here. Yeah. Um, I'd say about 20 to 30, depending on the size of the class. Um, we do have, for the ASW-SUW side, we have a class that's starting up here in a, about a week and a half and they'll be 18 strong for that one course. So it varies, but the numbers are increasing. Yeah, well, and because what I'm thinking is is the, just imagine that the fleet is is full of witty alums, right? And so if I'm an, a witty who comes to a ship and that crew is punctuated by witties, it's going to be that much more productive, right? I mean, they'll be uh, they'll understand what you're trying to do. Like you say, you won't have this tension about you having to be the third party everybody's kind of already on the same page you know the methodologies are understood they're maybe already kind of incorporated before you get there um you know they hold themselves to a high brief carry out the brief debrief standard already um that's kind of exciting stuff culturally across the navy you know i think that'll go a long way to uh, to raising the bar in a way that we need to in the face of peer conflict right so um we're running out of time here um where are you guys headed next kelly where are you where are you going not after we finish the podcast, but in, next in your career. I'm, uh, I'm headed to department head school in March of 2020. And do you know where what ship you're going to? Not after yet. That? I'll uh, put my slate preferences in either this June or July. And what are your slate preferences? I would not to jinx yourself. <laughs> yeah. Is there any piece of wood yeah. I can knock on right now? I would. Uh, I've done my entire tour in in San Diego, so I think it's time that I try your, something your new. Geo you want to do your geolocation? You don't care what type of ship? No. I mean, I would ideally love to go back to a crew as. Um, I started my tours off on a destroyer and then moved to the LCS community. I'd, I'd like to go back to either a DDG or a CG. Okay. And um, being that my primary job in SMITIC right now is non-precision weapon systems, I would ideally like to go back as a WEPS. So a WEPS in Hawaii sounds great. Okay. On a DDG okay. or a CG would be uh, my number one. Purs 41 if you're listening. Yeah. Right? Kelly Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Gold star. Yeah. See, this is the this is the power of the Proceedings Podcast. We can create outcomes. Brianna, where are, you, where are you headed next? I'm also going to be attending department head school, so I'm slated to go in January of 20. I also have not slated for my ship yet, but um, would like to stay AMFIB, so LSD or LPD out of Little Creek or Norfolk would be ideal. How about you, Aaron? Uh, I, I recently uh, finished the WTI pipeline, so I'll actually be on shore duty for the next two and a half years, uh, but it's a great time to be assigned where I am. We're starting up uh, the SEAT, which is the Combined Integrated Air and Missile Defense ASW Trainer. Uh, which is going to completely change the way that we do advanced warfare training, completely change the way that ships can test their doctrine and battle orders. Um, it's a completely integratable combat suite 
outside of the ship. That's fantastic. Now, while I'm doing this also, I was able to uh, work on my master's at the same time. So there is a rumor. What, what are you uh, doing your master's? Where are you, where are you getting your master's? Through MPS. They uh, okay. have a distance learning course that a lot of WTIs are taking. That way they can do their witty production tour and make sure they get to department head school while uh, – while working both on the production tour and getting their degree. So the EMBA. And what's your degree in? Ma uh, I'm getting my master's in business association. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, business administration. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be a two-year program, and then I'll, I'll head to department head school as well. Fantastic. Well, guys, thanks for the time. Uh, thank uh, Lieutenant Matt Stroop for setting this up for us. Um, and I uh, hope you guys have a couple great days here left at SNA. Um, are, you, are you enjoying it? Are you seeing what you need to see? Is uh, anything earth-shattering happened here? Uh, it's just great hearing the priorities from your leadership. Um, you, we, we can read as much as we can in the papers, but to actually uh, see them in person and step up to the mic and ask them a question about what their priorities and intentions are uh, is a great opportunity for all of us, regardless of rank, regardless of occupation, uh, to make sure we're all moving in the right direction, I think is critical. This is where news is made, and certainly as a JO, to hear directly from leadership uh, is, is kind of a cool opportunity. So uh, good for you guys for being here, and um, thanks for spending the time uh, on the podcast today. Um, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, uh, do great things down the road here. You do this old man's heart good. Um, so thanks. thanks. All right, so everybody. Much. Thank you. Um, that's it for this uh, week of the show. And uh, as we say here, victory begins at the Naval Institute. We'll see you next time. <laughs>